Good afternoon, it's Sunday, September 1st, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news, all within 15 minutes or fewer. Although, I gotta say, I have never felt less confident in our ability to deliver in that on that 15 minutes or fewer promise than I am today, because we've got real football to talk about. My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm joined today by 24-7 Sports College Sports Editor, Trey Scott. Trey! How did you enjoy the first full weekend of college football? Well, I was going to say, I also feel unconfident in our 15 minutes when we have Barton Simmons on because he likes to talk for a (laughs) while. Um, But yeah, today we're going to cruise over that mark. It was a good day of college football. It was, I was talking to Chris Hummer, who was on the last podcast, and it felt like March Madness, Mm. where you can have a three seed lose to a 14 seed. And it's like, okay. And it's just like, what's the next upset coming? Well, it all sort of felt inevitable, and there was like a weird mood to the morning, I thought, maybe starting with Iowa State struggling with FCS Northern Iowa, or I don't know. It just, it maybe, maybe capped, it started with Nevada beating Purdue, but I, I almost, I woke up Saturday almost expecting some chaos, and, and thus I wasn't too surprised. Yeah, we've got we're we're in Sunday now as we're recording this and we 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 devised we're still in the process of really honestly figuring out how we're going to handle Sunday podcasts here on the College Football Daily, but the way we've decided to approach it uh, for now is we're going to break it down into who's got the Sunday scaries, who is got that feeling of existential dread who is not wanting to go face their coworkers on Monday or on the holiday weekend I guess Tuesday to be taunted and be the subject of mockery because of what happened to their team over the weekend and who's having a Sunday fun day who is just at brunch instagramming their crushing it <laughs> yeah just crushing it at brunch uh, getting the Bloody Mary, um, yes. having a good time and feeling themselves. So let's start out with the Sunday scaries. Uh, I think we've, uh, for reasons you alluded to right off the bat there, a lot of teams, I think, with the Sunday scaries, a lot of them concentrated in one particular conference and really in one particular division in college football. It pains me to say Saturday was a tremendously bad look for the SEC East Maybe most of all, uh, Tennessee. Okay, it was Tennessee. It was Tennessee. Ten- <laughs> Tennessee's walk of shame was worse than South Carolina's in Missouri this morning. Yeah, that's true. I there is no excuse. Uh, South Carolina and Missouri, well, t- Missouri to a lesser extent, you can carve out a reasonably understandable excuse. I don't know that there's any way for you to spin this 38 to 30 loss for Tennessee at home against Georgia state, a team that went two and 10 a year ago. And you look at the box score and it really looks like Tennessee's offensive line was just getting manhandled in this game, or at least not able to do very much. They gave up four sacks, gave up two hurries, only Tennessee only rushed for three yards per carry. And we know they have good running backs. Uh, Tennessee also had three turnovers and just couldn't finish drive, settling for a lot of field goals. And that and that touchdown to make it 30 instead of 23 really made it seem closer in the end than it was for much of for much of the second half. So just I don't, I don't know how you recover from this. Well, it was really bad, and they also announced to start the game. Neyland Stadium was at 85,000, which is not full mm. capacity, and it was actually less than that. They just 
they actually, it was kind of weird for them not to announce a sellout. Um, they were honest, but it was probably more like 70,000. There was no, no buzz, no buzz in Knoxville on Saturday. That team was not what we thought we would get in a Jeremy Pruitt coach team. And maybe we overestimated the toughness aspect of it. I don't want to overreact too much in week one. But that, that might have been their worst loss ever. I was reading, reading Wes Rucker's column about it. And it's like, this is one of the, it's, 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 on the, it's on the Mount Rushmore of bad ball losses. And it felt like something that would have taken place during the Butch Jones era. I have to keep Googling to check which Georgia S they lost to. It's like, Georgia, <laughs> I don't even, it's Georgia State who didn't have a football program 10 years ago. This is yeah. bad. Tennessee's, they were supposed to, to have this schedule that broke out in a way where they could be 3-0 and playing Florida in week four. They, they have BYU next week. We thought, hey, BYU got crushed by Utah. I don't know now. I don't know now. Yeah, yeah. 0-2 is looking like a very realistic start to the season. And then even with it being a bad week for the SEC East, you've still got Georgia. You've still got Alabama. Um, so yeah. it's it's hard to see. You'd expect not all weeks will be as bad as this one, but just from a sheer math perspective, if if your first loss is to Georgia State, things get pretty difficult to cobble together a bowl-eligible type season. Uh, similar vibes in Columbia, South Carolina right now, where the Gamecocks uh, are, are traveling back home after losing 24-20 to to UNC. They were up 20-9 to with 5-10 left in the third quarter, but as has happened so many times under Will Muschamp, the Gamecocks just absolutely crumbled while nursing a touchdown plus lead. And Jake Bentley is just, so I'm, I'm a South Carolina fan. If you're a new listener and don't know that yet. So I, I am constantly trying to make sure my emotions in check and I'm not overreacting, but Trey, Jake Bentley is bad, right? Yeah, I don't know what you're going to do. Jake Bentley, in the parts that I watched, was, you know, airmailing passes. Looked, Taven Feaster was a bright spot. But Jake Bentley, you said this last year, the Benjamin Button kind of career. It's all been downhill since that freshman season. My question to you is this. Will Muschamp, is it possible this is his last season? Because the schedule is as tough as anybody's in college football. Yeah. I, I think it is possible, and I think how he handles this Bentley situation will shape whether or not he has a future in Columbia. Because I feel right now it is really tough to suss out what problems with South Carolina are Will Muschamp related and what problems are Jake Bentley related. Because Jake Bentley has, uh, he didn't start the season in Muschamp's first season, um, as South Carolina's head coach, but he eventually took over. And so he's been lockstep. Like you, you, they're just so intertwined. We haven't gotten a chance to see what this program would look like with a different quarterback. And there's so much blame put on the play calling, but really I think the play calling is fine. It's just, it is hard to play call when you are constantly behind schedule because your quarterback can't hit a three yard slant route on first down. And then, so the guy who wasn't accurate enough to hit that slant route now has to hit increasingly difficult throws. And you end up in situations where Jake Bentley is throwing up these miracle heaves and he's got enough of that gunslinger to him that sometimes he pulls it off. 
and South Carolina wins and it's great. But the fact that you're getting into that situation in the first place, I think is the problem. And I think next week, South Carolina has Charleston Southern and back in 2011, South Carolina was going through a similar thing with Steven Garcia, successful quarterback, impressive win loss record for the team you know, owns a lot of records uh, for the Gamecocks in terms of passing. But his play is too erratic. It's become a problem. And the week after a just shockingly bad loss to a horrible Auburn team, Connor Shaw gets the start against Kentucky. South Carolina wins something like 52-7. to I think Will Muschamp needs to use the opportunity of playing Charleston Southern to get Ryan Holinsky in there because – I. I you, you say, well, it's well, probably more Connor. It's probably more tempting, given the fact that they just lost at the hands of a true freshman. Exactly, exactly. And I'm, as a fan, I'm hoping that that reality helps shock Muschamp into making this decision. Because last year, I, in moments of weakness, called for Jake Bentley to be benched. Looking back, I don't think there was ever a truly credible alternative to him that you could go ahead and make that move. But now that Ryan Holinsky is on campus, that's no longer the case. And we're seeing, and we'll get into it later when we talk about true freshman quarterbacks, but man, guys are stepping in on day one and playing really, really well. So going to be interesting to track with Bentley's dad on staff. Yeah. So that's, yeah, for South Carolina and Tennessee, now you're looking at a tough path to a bowl game. Do you have any more South Carolina takes? I know it's like a. a I tough. don't think so. I mean, the there were that was not the Jake Bentley was not the only problem with South Carolina. The defense gave up 238 yards rushing and 10.2 yards per pass against a true freshman quarterback, kind of really beating some cornerbacks that people were talking about as being some of the best in the SEC. So that's a problem too, and I don't want to totally gloss over that but I think you know I think your quarterback not being able to make very basic throws in critical situations it it really felt like it had a trickle down effect to the rest of the team and they've seen this story so many times and just kind of kind of uh start to fall apart but yeah we've got we've got other games to talk about in the SEC East or one more um uh, Missouri 31 Wyoming 37 so I didn't watch that one. No, no. But uh, diagnosing from the box score. Well, first of all, Missouri has this weird thing about wanting to do these home and homes to weird places. Uh, so they, they played this one in Wyoming and lost. Uh, the last time Mizzou won the SEC East in 2014, they actually lost on the road to Indiana. Um, and, and Indiana was kind of jokingly bragging that they were the SEC East champs that year. Um, but it's a weird game because Missouri's offense was clicking. 537 yards total offense, 423 yards passing from Kelly Bryant, but three turnovers for the Tigers and allowed 7.1 yards per carry on the ground. And that is just not going to get it done against what is Wyoming in the Mountain West. Yeah, I don't have too much to say about that one. Kelly Bryant was okay at like 400 yards passing. Uh, maybe Missouri's bowl band appeal doesn't even matter. But <laughs> That's true. It's so funny. You spend the whole offseason mapping out how the entire season is going to look. And if you're a fan of a certain team, you're probably talking a lot of mess. And you just get bit. Like As a Texas guy, it happened the last two seasons. You lose to Maryland. 
And for Missouri, you're projecting an 8-0 and 9-0 start until you play Georgia. You lose to Wyoming. For South Carolina, you're projecting a blowout of North Carolina. You lose. For Tennessee, you're projecting, hey, this is a year to get back to a bowl game. You lose to Georgia State. It's a, it's a, this sport can be kind of miserable. It's a... <sighs> yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see where the SEC East goes from here because at Bill Connolly's SP Plus had projected the SEC East as the number two conference in the country going into the year um, behind the SEC West. Kind of looking like that's not going to be the case. Uh, so we'll, we'll see just just how bad it truly ends up being. Um, our team with the Sunday scaries that did not lose, our only one that did not lose, Southern California beat Fresno State 31-23, to might end up proving to be a bit of a Pyrrhic victory because JT Daniels leaves the game in the second quarter after having his lower leg rolled up on by a very large individual. Um, uh, x-rays were negative, but with that kind of thing, the real test we're all waiting to get the results of are the MRI, which I think they said they're going to perform on Sunday or Monday. So that will be something definitely to keep an eye on. It looked really bad. This is the worst case scenario for Clay Helton. You have the, a very talented quarterback around. I mean, uh, an air raid scheme and you lose them in week one. And that was, that was what was going to save your season and save your, your legacy at South uh, USC at Southern Cal. Now you're trying to play a true freshman, Keaton Slovis, who is not a highly ranked recruit, but he emerged from that four man QB competition as the number two guy. We'll see. Yeah. The guy behind Slovis. That's that's just like that. Clay Helton can't catch a break. Yeah. That's tough. That's tough. And I mean, this, this, was the spread on this was pretty close, right? It was under a touchdown. Uh, yeah, the USC yeah, was favored. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's good enough that USC won. People, a lot of people thought Fresno State might pull that upset, which wouldn't have been that surprising at all, especially on Saturday. Yeah, some some boneheaded stuff in here. USC had a big return at one point that was wiped out because two players were on the field wearing the same uniform number. Some questionable play calls late in the game, but ultimately the Trojans do make some big plays and emerge with the victory. Uh, but looking ahead, you've got Stanford at BYU. BYU shaping up to be a weirdly important team <laughs> this season. Uh, then they've got Utah at Washington and at Notre Dame. And that's before we're even halfway through October. So if JT Daniels is going to be out for an extended period of time, Keaton Slovis might end up being the player who determines whether or not Clay Helton keeps having a job in Los Angeles. So I'm sad for JT Daniels in that sense, in that especially on a day in which we saw all these true freshman quarterbacks light it up, JT Daniels was the poster child for that last season. He even was the guy who reclassified to, to enroll at school a year earlier to be Sam Darnold's direct replacement. Had an up and down freshman season. Now might be out for the entirety of 2019. We'll see. Maybe when he comes back, he has a new coach. We're starting to get to the point. It's very, very, very early, but we're starting to get to the point where we're like, okay, is this guy going to be the guy we thought he would be? Yeah. And to no fault of his own, we're entering the point where we have some some doubts about that. And it, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, I feel bad for him. All right. We've got Boise State 36, FSU 31. FSU, of course, being the team with the Sunday scaries here. Although I kind of objected to FSU being put into this category. But well, we I don't do- know why. Why did you why, – why? Why would they not have the Sunday Scaries about this? I w- I'm interested to hear your take on that because I think they blew a massive second half lead. So yeah, they get they get a very important year two under Willie Taggart off to a bad start. 
the Kendall Bryles offense was great in the first half. Got them no points in the second half. And you essentially lost a home game to a group of five opponent. Yeah, so that that's that's the case for them being in there. And you, right. you can make that case. And I don't disagree with any of those points. Obviously, they're facts. But um, my, my case for them not being in there is that FSU was, I think, favored by five. So losing a game that you're favored by five is not a super shocking outcome. And I think there were things in here that you can take out of and build on if you're the Seminoles. You, you, that, that first half still happened. And we saw for, for the first 30 minutes of the game, what I was thinking was, oh, man, how did I not think about this? Like the whole thing about Kendall Bryles and that kind of offense is that it minimizes. It takes so much pressure off your offensive line. And what a perfect hire, given that that is the weakness for Florida State and they were just finding ways to get the ball out of James Blackman's hands quickly and get, get the ball to, to Marion Terry and, and FSU's, play, FSU's playmakers in space. And, you know, and, and in that moment, you realize why FSU is in the top 10 still of the 24-7 sports team talent composite. And they just look so good. But then I, I think a combination of things happened. I think Boise State, kind of tried to took that intermediate game away and Kendall Bryles got a little bit impatient and it was there was actually the the play when they went up 31 to 13 in the first half it was a 58 yard bomb to Keyshawn Helton and ever since that play it, it kind of seemed like Bryles got impatient and was just thinking we're going to chuck it up and have that kind of success on every deep pass but when they tried to do that you saw that's where you saw oh yeah florida state's offensive line isn't good enough to let james blackman drop back and throw like that and that's when boise state really started you you finally started hearing uh the name curtis weaver show up in the game after not hearing it for the entire first half uh, as as the broncos started to get some pressure on and uh, may, really so i mean so that's so i think there's there's some good stuff well, in there. There's lots of work. There's yeah. plenty to build on. And James Blackman made a good point after the game. The quarterback said, "Hey, like point to when we were scoring 31 in the first half last year." There's plenty to build on. But you you mentioned the blown lead. You mentioned what they were up by. I think if you go to, I think any Florida State fan, yeah, there's like reason to be encouraged. But they just lost at home. Yeah, I, I think and, and it blew a huge lead. The boys. I'm not like crapping on Boise State. Boise State has every right to beat Florida State. Yeah. But I mean, they... I think the Florida main State thing... has this untrustworthy factor that had it really... made it really hard to pick them to win any game last year and may, was what had me concerned about them beating Boise State this year because Boise State's maybe this, this you know, blueprint of what Florida State needs to become, this model of consistency. Florida State's jackal and Hyde a, a team. It, it's It's... I want to see them put a full game together. One half is really nice progress, but for Willie Taggart to survive down there, they're going to have to be a lot more consistent. Yeah, I, I do wonder whether FSU will be able to have the kind of success it had in the first half against secondaries that are a little bit more athletic and talented than Boise State's is. So it'll be interesting to see what happens once they get into the conference play. But uh, definitely understand 
given, given the fact that you're up 31 to 13 and you come out losing and it feels like, man, FSU is on top of the world. They're going to get to talk so much trash to both Miami and Florida fans. And uh, then to have that ripped out from under you is absolutely brutal. Um, bad I kind of mentioned, huh? mentioned uh, Willie Taggart's hot seat, but the guy in Florida who's about to be canned is Charlie Strong. Yeah. 49 to nothing, lost to Wisconsin. And Willie Taggart connection here in that USF, the year before Charlie Strong, goes 11 and 2 under Taggart, 10 and 2 in Strong's first year. But it looks a little creaky. And then 7 and 6 last year. And then you start out losing 49 to nothing. And I, I picked Wisconsin in this one, but I did not feel great about it. They, US, USF has not won a game since last October. They, they started out 6-0. and And yeah, they won 10 games in Charlie Strong's first year, but I forget the name of the quarterback. They had a very talented roster that Taggart built. And all Charlie Strong had to do was just plug and play and just you know keep, keep the guys drinking water and all that stuff and all worked out. He, is, he was set up to succeed is what I'm trying to say yeah. by Willie Taggart. And he has done everything possible to light it all on fire. You feeling feel bad for him. Feeling I vindicated do. as a I, Texas fan? I, no, I mean, I still think he got a bad, a, a bad draw to start out in Austin. I think the, the criticisms of his hire were ridiculous based on what he did at Louisville. He was undoubtedly a success at Louisville. That's without question. However, he did not do anything in Austin notable. And that program somehow was worse off when he left than when he began. And I think we're getting to the point in Charlie Strong's career where we're kind of realizing that he doesn't have it right now as a head coach, which is sad because 10 years ago, he looked like one of college football's best coaches. Um, I mean, he beat Florida in, a, in a, I believe, the, the Sugar Bowl with Louisville. Teddy Bridgewater was awesome. South Florida is a massive mess. You can't lose 49-0 to zero to anybody. You can't lose 49-0 to zero in week one. You just can't. The schedule, they're, they're going to, you know, unless they mess around, they should finish with you know, six, seven, eight wins, but that's not going to be enough, I don't think. All right, so that's everybody who's having the Sunday scaries. Who is having a Sunday fun day? I don't know if anybody's having a better day right now than the Auburn Tigers after watching their true freshman quarterback. Uh, I mean, it might be overstating it to say he engineered the comeback from a 17-3 first half or I, I, maybe it wasn't first half a 17 to three deficit to Oregon 11th ranked Oregon and at a neutral site opener ends up throwing the game winning touchdown a 21 yard lob to Seth Williams just kind of threw it up there and gave his receiver a chance to make a play uh, Bo Nix did not look good for most of this game final line 13 to 31 not you're right yeah no, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was no, like, no, no. You're right. Yeah, I mean, read the stats out because they're interesting. Yeah, 13 of 31 for 177 yards. He had the two touchdowns, two interceptions, uh, but really did not look good until that final drive. I was kind of, I kind of kept waiting for that moment that we saw from Sam Howell in 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 the UNC South Carolina game. That moment from Bachmeyer in the Boise State FSU game where you kind of switched from being a freshman to kind of feeling yourself a bit. And we didn't get that until the final drive where he was just making plays with his arm and his legs and extending plays with his legs to make plays with his arms. And, you know, just 
he got it done. There was a point in the third quarter where I was like, ooh, I don't know about this. And I was thinking, hey, I wonder if Gus Malzahn can pull Bo Nix. See what, I mean, Joey Gatewood did score a touchdown. Get Joey Gatewood out there to like run a full drive and it not shatter Bo Nix's confidence. I was like, oh, I don't know if he's going to do it. But they're getting killed by Oregon. 13 for 31 is really bad. And that's not going to do it most days. But that final drive is something that's going to go down in Auburn history. The fourth yeah. and three. The little John Elway in that <laughs> gets that gets that three gets those three yards keeps his knee above the turf. The pass, oh my gosh! Like it does not get any better if you're an Auburn fan, and you feel these are when you have a true freshman quarterback, and this is maybe what you you're you're dying for with with Helinski, You feel like once you get a win like that, like anything's possible because yeah. you you start to imagine how this guy is going to get better as a sophomore and as a junior. Maybe he comes back for a senior year, and you start to see these—you start to see conference championships and playoff appearances, and Heisman's align. It hardly ever works out like that. But Auburn, given what they have on the defensive side of the ball, given what they have at receiver, even though Anthony Schwartz, once he once he gets back healthy, and and you know they've got a stable of running backs, it's hey, if you were buying stock on Auburn in the offseason, you, you feel redeemed today. Yeah, I and and you think. From the moment you kind of appreciate that whether you go with Gatewood or Nix, you're starting a freshman and a neutral site opener against Oregon. Against Justin Herbert. Yeah, you're kind of just like, whatever, I I don't care what it looks like. Just come out with the win and we'll figure out everything else later. And now you've got games against Tulane and Kent State before you start hitting the meat grinder of the SEC and I, and I think now you're in a place where you're feeling a lot better about that quarterback situation. Now, the counter-argument would be something that Barton's been talking about, and I kind of agree with. We've been kind of dreaming on that 2013-2014 Gus, Mal, Gus Malzahn magic to come back to the Tigers' offense. And we didn't, we didn't see that on Saturday night against Oregon. We saw a win, but we did not see the offense looking good. Uh, we saw the Auburn defense looking incredible, uh, but we did not see the Auburn offense looking good. So are we going to... Well, that's a, that's a really good point. And I'll, let me say quickly. Yeah. In fact, we are that, we're a Bo Nix touchdown pass away from us blaming Gus Malzahn for that loss because some of the play calling, especially on the final drive, the delayed handoff um, when Booby Whitlow stays in bounds, that didn't get... I mean, that was just a, absurd, horrendous play calling by Gus Malzahn. So I, I, I feel like yeah. we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that. And can you imagine if somehow Oregon converts the Hail Mary and then we're talking about why didn't Gus Malzahn go for two after, um, after scoring that touchdown late? Uh, so, yeah. So I, I think overall, you, you're like I said, you're taking the win. You're starting a true freshman in a big game like that. You take the win however you can come by it. But I'm not totally feeling great about Auburn as a legit contender in the SEC West and for the college football playoff if, if they come out of the SEC. Uh, so we, we talked about Bo Nix. We talked a little bit about Sam Howell. Uh, talked about Hank Bachmeyer. Hank Bachmeyer. Uh, Bachmeyer, just to spend a little bit more time on him, man, even before things started going well for Boise State, I was really impressed by him and I was not totally sure what we were going to get. He was just so composed even 
even when things were not going well, even when they're down 13 to 13 and they're struggling in the red zone and having to settle for a lot of field goals, he just looked so comfortable and relaxed. And to be starting on the road at the Doke where you've had so much uncertainty about where you're even going to play this game, for him to just look so cool and grow into the game, ends up with 407 yards and a touchdown. Did turn the ball over twice, but both of those times were the result of him being hit in the process of throwing. So uh, I think he's Boise's highest rated ever quarterback signing and probably going to be the next four-year starter yeah. in Boise. He's our. Uh, he's actually going to be also our uh, 24-7 sports true freshman of the week, and the competition was high. i got to publish that article later today. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's the next – you're right, next four-year guy in Boise. And the guy who – I think it's fun when those Boise quarterbacks sort of become household names. And I think this guy's going to be one of them. So I, I hope everyone learns how to – I don't think Bachmeyer's too hard of a name, but it's time to learn how to spell that one. Yeah, did you see he has uh, brothers named it's Bear – I don't know. It's all animal names. And he got named Hank. I don't, I don't know how, <laughs> how that discussion went. But uh, Jaden Daniels, but it was not on Saturday, but earlier in the week, had an impressive debut. Uh, the number 35 overall player in the 2019 class. Arizona State wins 30-7. to He finished the night 15-24 of with 284 yards passing and three total touchdowns. Kind of felt last year like a functional offense, mm-hmm. or at least a more explosive offense was maybe the key to Arizona State taking the next step. The, the opposition was just Kent State here, but I think, I think you're pretty happy with that out of a true freshman. This isn't a hot take because he's the second-ranked true freshman quarterback among the mix here, but I think Jaden Daniels, of all these guys, has the most potential to be a number one overall type talent. Um, he's got to add some weight, but I think when, when people looked at him last year, they saw a, a bit of Deshaun Watson in his game. And I think he's going to show that this season. I'm excited about him. Hey, Max Dugan at TCU did not start. Uh, we knew Alex Delton would, but I think, hey, we talked about this the other day, how Max Dugan would take that job over by midseason. Is week two too early? Because he was the best TCU quarterback mm. on that field. He, he was 16 for 23 for 165 yards and a touchdown. And most importantly, coaches will always say, hey, get us to the end zone, get us to the end zone. We don't care how you do it. He led all three of TCU's touchdown drives too. Uh Sam Howell, talked about him a little bit, but let's just spend a little bit more time on him. Uh, 15 of 24, two touchdowns, no interceptions. You thought you might see some interceptions for a guy who came in with a a rep as somebody who was a little bit of a gunslinger, and that could sometimes work in his favor, but you would think as a true freshman making a start against an SEC team, maybe that would result in some some mistakes too, and it almost did. Did you see see the – I know you were watching a few different games at once, but did you see that – replay of the ball going straight through yes. J.C. Horn's hands like they were yes. uh, semi-permeable or something. <laughs> it was insane. But he just kind of, like Bo Nix on that last drive, just kind of had that thing about him where you knew when it came down to the critical down, he was going to make the play that his team needed. Uh, so really impressive stuff out of any, any time you're getting compared to Baker Mayfield or Brett Favre. Yeah. I think there's something to love there. Yeah. We, and we, you're right though. We did think that that might, that might, uh, nip him in the, but, uh, or not nip him, but that, was, uh, that might nip him. Uh, <laughs> but it didn't. And no. I'm excited about watching all these guys. This is a really fun crop of freshman quarterbacks. And we didn't kind of have this last year. Well, in, until we did when Trevor Lawrence emerged by week four-ish. But I love it. I we love it. 
We spent a lot of the weekend worrying on behalf of the SEC East and the Pac-12. One conference we didn't spend a lot of time worrying about is the Big 12. Who is No the- one wants to spend time worrying about the Big 12, Connor. Everyone just wants to sleep on it as this... Well, Trey, as, you know, as I'm sure this, you know, right now they are the only conference, only undefeated conference, not in the power five, well, but I, I went and checked in overall too. Well, let's see what Oklahoma does today. Uh, I will say I am a big 12 apologist. They, they did play seven FCS teams yeah. and West Virginia barely got past James Madison. Kansas barely got past Indiana state. Iowa state needed three overtimes to beat Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa really messed up by not going for a, uh, for two in, in second over time you got to do that you're on the road you make your season by beating your in-state not rival but like kind of rival you don't do that but yeah it's uh texas took care of business so that's nice when the power takes care of business i I, i'm interested to watch oklahoma tonight and and see jalen hurts versus Derek king but hey we saw a lot of upsets this week and i think you you breathe a sigh of relief if if you're in a conference that you know wasn't gotten by anybody the last segment we're going to do on today's recap show is the Heisman stock index. We've got, so the, the way we're kind of framing this discussion is like, I don't know what point there is in talking about Tua doing like whatever he did against Duke. I assume it was like 250 yards and three touchdowns. Like, okay, fine, whatever. It was more than that. Okay. Well, whatever <laughs> yeah. it is, like that's, that's just kind of treading that's water. Tua. Tua doing Tua. Yeah, that's just status quo. What, what I have in mind for guys we're going to talk about in this segment is, uh, Trey, I don't know if you've seen this gif, this famous gif of Vince McMahon, who owns the WWE. I know you don't know anything about wrestling, so I'm trying to give you some yeah. backstory. But it is just this sequence of reaction cuts where he is getting progressively more and more excited to the point that his eyes cross and he folds and he falls over backwards in his chair. But it starts out very innocently with him just kind of, he's got his feet kicked up on, on something. He's sitting in a chair and he just kind of sits up the way you do when something catches your attention. So these are some players who caught our attention in that way. Maybe we'll get to a point in the season where our eyes are crossing and we're falling out of our chairs. But right now we're just kind of like, Oh, that, that was interesting. Let's let we need to see some more data points, but you might have something here if you're building a Heisman resume. So let's start it off with Joe Burrow going 23 of 27 for 278 yards and five touchdowns. Now, who were they playing? Georgia Southern? They were playing the other Georgia one. It was other Georgia, Georgia Southern. S, yeah. And the touchdowns were fairly simple ones. But I am I'm a huge fan ever since the days of watching RG3. Of any time you have more touchdowns than incompletions, yes. like you are you're gonna catch my eye. And and this is LSU unveiling a new type of offense. This is probably the best line of by an LSU quarterback since Jamarcus Russell, but someone can fact check me on that. You caught my attention, Joe. And if you go into Austin next week and knock off Texas, I'm not saying you're gonna win the Heisman. I, I would bet heavily against it, but you're going to probably be, if you um, eliminate legacy points and career value and all that stuff, you're going to be the, the front runner for it. So you're on our radar. And I don't know if anyone else is going to put you on their radar, but you, you have made our radar for the high. I do think it is worth remembering that before he came to LSU, he was in a legitimate competition for Ohio State's quarterback battle with Dwayne Haskins. Now, they ended up being able to call it in the spring. So 
take factor that into your decision making. But I talking to Dave Biddle when Joe Burrow transferred, he was kind of I was a little bit based on what he was expecting from Joe Burrow. I was a little bit of surprised last year to see him be so much of a classic LSU kind of just a guy. I was too. I was too. I was surprised that he I thought he was this dynamic quarterback which he showed he was on Saturday rather than this like you know the gritty game manager. Maybe there's something about you know putting on the LSU colors and you become a game manager. I don't know. But he's a really mature guy. We saw him at SEC Media Days and he carries himself like a 30-year-old, not a 22-year-old. I'm excited to watch him play. We knew Travis Etienne was good. I oh yeah, next week against yeah yeah against Texas. Yeah, against that'll my be Longhorns. yeah. Maybe that'll be like a Heisman eliminator. That's what I'm saying, like a Heisman duel between Joe Burrow and Sam Ellinger, who's who doesn't make this little category because he was already on our Heisman radar. But yeah, yeah. Who wants to win the Heisman, guys? Go go battle it out in Austin. We knew Travis Etienne was great, but I think everybody who was doing their Heisman predictions was understandably going Trevor Lawrence from the Clemson delegation. But after watching Travis Etienne against Georgia Tech on Thursday night, 12 carries, 205 yards, three touchdowns, and then you kind of start to map out, all right, what is Clemson's season going to look like? And how hard are they going to want to work Trevor Lawrence? I think you can start to envision a scenario where Travis Etienne becomes the more compelling Heisman candidate. He is so good. I I obviously spent last season watching Travis Etienne a lot, as we all did, but I, I watched the entire Clemson game Thursday, and he caught my eye. I mean, I, I didn't realize just quite how explosive he was, how agile he was. The 90-yard touchdown was insane. And you're right. Uh, he might be the focal point of the offense Clemson's probably not going to have to feed him 25 times a game because they're going to be putting teams away in the third quarter. But he's going to have a really high yards per carry, and he's going to get his touchdowns. And gosh, I mean, he, he, I think on Thursday he, he, he established himself as the leader in the best running back in the country argument. But allow me to segue here. Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin probably saw that performance on Thursday and said, Travis, I see you. Here's what I've got in, in that 49-0 win over South Florida. Jonathan Taylor had 16 carries for 135 yards and two touchdowns and then added two more yards, sorry, two more touchdowns through the air as well to finish with a cool uh, four total touchdowns and nearly 200 yards of offense. He was college football's best running back last season. He got some Heisman buzz, but I I don't know how much, did you like to go into the year, Connor, where you're like, yeah, Jonathan Taylor's a legit Heisman contender because I wasn't. I mean, uh, I, I think he's definitely good enough to win the Heisman Trophy. I don't think he's on a good enough team to win the Heisman Trophy as a running back. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But he deserves to be in this discussion. And, hey, it, it's hard for a, Heis- a running back to win the Heisman this year. And even when one does, like Derrick Henry, I think that you, they somehow find a way to, to mess that up because it should have been Christian McCaffrey. But if, if, if no quarterbacks are going to be – I pop in stats wise this year, and I'm not saying that's the case because I think Tua and Trevor Lawrence are going to put up sick numbers. Then, then this would be quite, quite, quite a good time to 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 tab a Heisman uh, for a running back because those two guys are really good. Justin Fields looked really good for Ohio State. Now, well, uh, I'll say he 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 looked. He, okay, so FAU is bad at defense. Very and, bad. And that was very apparent watching the uh, highlights of Justin Fields' performance against them because every touchdown pass was to a completely unmarked Ohio State wide receiver. But 
you got to start somewhere. And he did what was asked of him, had completed 18 of 25 passes for 234 yards, four touchdowns, looked good running too, 12 carries, 61 yards, and a tutty on the ground. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's, you got a long way to go and much better teams to prove yourself against, but you, you got to start somewhere. And this was a good start. He looked smooth. I'm happy to see him ball out. Uh, Jacob Eason. If, if the Pac-12 is going to have a Heisman this year, he might be the only hope for it. 27 for 36, 349 yards and four touchdowns against Eastern Washington, a game a lot of people had Washington on FCS upset alert for. We were kind of unsure of what to expect from Jacob Eason because it took him a while to win that Washington job. But man, he looked, I mean, he delivered. He delivered. That, that's a really nice stat line, Jake. Yeah, the, the stats look good and he looked good. It just, you're feeling really encouraged right now, I think, if you're a Washington fan. Um, but Trey, we, one guy who we expect to be in the Heisman mix, we haven't seen play yet. Jalen Hurts. We talked a little bit about him earlier. We're going to get to see him pretty soon, right? Yeah. We get to see Jalen Hurts tonight against Houston. That's going to be a game. Obviously I've got my eye on, I think the matchup is Oklahoma's very bad defense, but has improved against a very good Houston quarterback, Derek King, who was the FBS leader in total touchdowns last season before he got hurt. Jalen Hurts on the checklist tonight. We know what you can do as a runner, Jalen. We know you're going to take care of the football. Make some wow throws. If you can make some wow throws, maybe you are going to be Oklahoma's third straight Heisman Trophy winner. Mm. The other big game we've got this weekend, this extended weekend as it always is to kick off the season is on Monday night. We've got Notre Dame at Louisville. I imagine the, is this a neutral site? It's listed as a, no, it should be in Louisville. Okay. Yeah. Um, I imagine, I don't know when this game was scheduled. I imagine Notre Dame thought they were getting a much different opponent. I imagine ESPN thought they were getting a much different Louisville when they decided to make this kind of uh, a showcase to start the season. Uh, I don't know. It's it's very possible that there will have been, that I will have had enough football this week. And by the time Monday night rolls around, I'm watching like mine. <laughs> it's, it's very possible. No offense. No offense to Notre Dame or Louisville. You might, see, the listeners know. you might see about the same number of murders if you turn into uh, <laughs> ESPN. So. Um, well, Trey, man, we are at, I think it's going to end up being around 50 minutes. So we really wow. blew past 15, but I, yeah. I, hopefully it's something There's people enjoy. Um, that is going to do it for today's interminable episode of the College Football Daily. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend to check us out. Tell an enemy to check us out. For Trey Scott, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you bright and early, maybe on Monday. I don't know. I don't don't think Trey will be here, but maybe if if something happens and we need to do an emergency on the holiday, I'll I'll find a, I'll book a co-host at the last minute. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, next college football, next edition of the college football daily, whenever that might be, we'll see you then.